Psalm 90 as uh, it is written in your newsletter. It is the oldest psalm uh, written by Moses, as uh, it has been said. Um, we're not going to go into all the debates. Some people argue it's not Moses. Anyway, we take that it's written, it was written by Moses. Now, we are already in uh, April, and it feels like that the last four months has gone just very quickly, isn't it? Um, yesterday was a Christmas, and today we are in April. However, that's not only the case. Ruthie and I, we've been married for about 28 years, roughly. 28, not roughly, it is 28. I might have put myself in trouble. But it feels like that it's those 28 years where it went. It's just like yesterday. And now I have a daughter who is 26 years old. She got two sons. One is four and a half and another is two and a half. And I'm actually a grandpa. I still feel like that yesterday I was playing volleyball. And time just flies by. You know, someone has suggested in the past that we have 13th month inserted between December and January. Uh, it's a month of reflection. You know, we reflect. We, how did we spend our last year? And we make some resolutions as well. And it is a good thing to ponder upon how we use our time and make some, uh, you know, new resolutions as well. It is a good thing. So as Dhruti and I, we came back from India, the first thought we had was this, that when we go back, we're going to, you know, take, uh, take it easy, going to you know, have some relaxing time. And we'll evaluate how did we spend our last three years. And we are going to refocus that what things we should focus upon and what things we might have to let it go. It is a good thing to do that. Psalm 90 is reminding all of us this evening that think about the time which God has given you. And use, them, use it wisely. It teaches us that we are to reorient our thinking. Uh, that we may become wise. You know, why do I say that? Because the verse 12 is the main verse of this psalm as well. Look at what it says. It says that, so teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. This verse is often treated as it, it were a proverb that means life is short, so live wisely. Um, and that's why, you know, in many Christians' homes, you might find this particular verse on their refrigerator or on their walls as well. Um, but as we, as we understand this uh, particular verse in the context of the whole psalm, we realize that it says way much more than that. Actually, it is a key part of meditation on God um, <clears throat> and on living as the people of God by understanding and by, by keeping all these things in uh, mind as well. Uh, a reflection on times actually leads us to see how weak we are, it leads us to understand how short our lives are. Uh, it reminds us that while the life of man is frail, short, and at the same time, God is eternal. You know, this psalm is a wonderful psalm which teaches us wisdom. It also reminds us that the shortness and weakness of our life are the fruit of sin and judgment of holy God in this world. And, but it doesn't stop there. It also says that although the life is short and the wrath of God is terrifying, the mercy and protection of God for his people are great. So, you know, Psalm 90 encourages you, people of God, to reorient your thinking and reorient your life by considering and remembering God's eternity, 
our own frailty and at the same time on God's mercy as well. So these are the three things as good Presbyterians, you know, we're going to look at this evening, God's eternity, man's frailty, and God's mercy. So let's look at them. Look, verse 1, what a wonderful way Moses writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. What he says is that God is eternal. All generations, as far as he knows. Look at what he writes here. He says, he uses the metaphor dwelling place. As soon as we hear this metaphor dwelling place, our mind should go back to the ancient Near Eastern culture and think the dwelling place refers to a place where people can find protection, shelter, and nurture uh, nurture as well. They, They can get all the nourishment as well. This is exactly what the psalmist is saying. Psalmist is saying that, Lord, you are our refuge. You are our identity. In you, we have security. On you, we depend. Actually, God, you, where we belong. And that's, that's what the psalmist is saying. When we think of, you know, permanence in the world, sometimes our mind goes back to, like, mountains. You know, we go as far as north in India up to Himachal Pradesh and we see Himalayan ranges. And sometimes I stand there and feel like, well, you know, these mountains, they are there for generations of generations. You know, they are just there forever. But no, no. Moses reminds us that there was a time when these mountains were not there. But God is. God exists. That means God is before and beyond time and this world. He has always been. He is self-sufficient, he, uh, and he doesn't need anyone. Uh, and at the same time, you know, Moses in verse 4, what he says? Look at verse 4. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You know, we all know that Jesus lived around 2,000 years ago. In the language, what Moses says, it's like just a weekend ago. Uh, it's extremely difficult to ponder upon this idea that God is beyond time. We are bound by time. We cannot even comprehend how thousand years, how lengthy thousand years could be because we cannot live that long. It's just a mind-boggling that God is outside the time. We are bound by the time. What Moses is actually teaching us is that God never changed. He is the dwelling place for his people. Recently, you know, I came back uh, to Melbourne uh, at my home and realized that there are many things change in Melbourne. Recently, you know, this evening when I took a turn to come into church, I realized that that signal I never saw before. It must have been, you know, came up in the last three, four years. So a lot of things have changed. One thing I realized that things have gone quite expensive. Um, And... It's not, the things are not same as before. You know what it reminds us? That we are living in a world that constantly changes. But when we think of God, he does not change. His love never changes. These two verses remind us that in constantly changing world, God is the permanent dwelling place for his people. However, the reality is not same for everyone. Some people find their identity in their ancestral home or maybe the place where they may have, you know, took birth. That is their belonging. That's where they belong. Some people belong to their family. Some people belong to 
their own possessions, maybe their own qualifications, their own achievements, a lot of other things as well. As migrants, you know, when I see someone, other Indian person, the first question I ask is, where are you from, my friend? And he would say that, you know, Andhra Pradesh or Kerala or whatever. So what I'm asking is, where do you belong? But that's a wrong question as a Christian, isn't it? I should be asked, as a God's people, I should remind myself that our belonging is not in our place of birth. It's not in our race. It's not in our education. It's not in our possession, but it's in God himself. You know, Psalm 90 reminds us that God's people, uh, for God's people, their belonging, their identity, their security is not in anything else but in God. And another thing it says is that a person who is anchored in him is going to be eternally secure as well. Uh, that's what the Psalm 90 teaches. So the second thing we need to keep in mind is that, yes, God is eternal, but our, we are not eternal. We are mortal. Our life is short. You know, verses 3 to 12 reminds us of our frailty and tells us that shortness and weakness of human life are fruit of sin and God's judgment in the world. Uh, verses 3 to 6, as we look at, you know, Moses takes our attention to mainly our frailty. What he says is to explain our, uh, you know, man's frailty, Moses uses different metaphors. Like he explains the shortness of life, you know, he compares man's life with a grass which comes up in the morning and withers by evening. Um, you're in a dry climate of Near Eastern culture, and sorry, Near Eastern place. Uh, a night rain will often cause a carpet of green spring up in the morn, you know, in the mountain hills. But as soon as the next day, uh, the blazing daylight, the sun comes up, and all those green grass you know, are going to be with us in the evening. That is exactly what Moses says our life is. It grows up in the morning, with us in the evening. Uh, Moses points us to the reality of death. We have no control over how long you know, we are going to live. History confirms us that as well, that man can very suddenly disappear from this scene as well. You know, it tells us very clearly. When a person is young, he tends to think they are invincible and they're going to live forever. David, I know sometimes that kind of thought might go through your mind. It used to go through my mind as well. When I was young, was able to, you know, ride my bike for maybe 120 kilometers in seven, eight hours. I was thinking that, wow, I can do anything. But now I'm in 50 and all my bone aches. We do get weak. Uh, we are not invincible. Um, the strongest man among us, you know, may have a serious limit by maybe 70, maybe 80, for some maybe 90, but at stage our strength starts to give out. Our lives are bookended by birth and death. You know what little energy we have needs to be replenished all the time. You know the reality is by the end of this service, what's going to happen? You will realize that how tired you are. Um, you need to recharge your battery by having a good night's sleep. You know what it reminds us? is the frailty. It reminds us our weakness, that we need a good night rest. Otherwise, tomorrow we won't be able to operate. The biggest reminder of our, of our smallness is death. God made us from dust. 
and after what we might seem like a long, long life or long, long time to us, but it's actually a very short time, you know what happens? We return to dust. We start life out, you know, all renewed and uh, full of life and think we are going to live forever. But by the end of day, we are old, tired, frail, and one day we close our eyes and leave this earth. You know, uh, uh, Moses, when he writes, he uh, may have, you know, his first book, Genesis, in his mind. You know, where he actually explained that how God created man out of dust. And here in verse 3, he says, God himself, you know what he says? You turn man back to dust, saying, oh, return to dust, O sons of man. You know, that's how short man's life is. Um, Verse 5, it says that God sweeps them away as with a flood. You know, when flood comes, it takes away everything, nothing left behind. Um, We are going to be forgotten like a dream. That is a very humbling thing to hear. You know, I had a dream. I generally have dream almost every night, but I never remember in the morning. Um, But Moses is saying the way I forget my dream Just in about a couple of hours, we will be forgotten like a dream. That's how frail we are. During during sleep, we see a dream. But when we wake up, we hardly remember. In sum, what Moses is saying is this, that we are nothing more than but organized dust. We are nothing more than that. A heart of wisdom begins by seeing that God is everlasting, But we are dust. We are nothing more than organized dust. You know, and the other thing about this life is, yes, it is short. We are frail. We are weak. But at the same time, Moses tells us that our life is filled with misery. You know, verses 7 to 11, what Moses is saying is that sickness, death, suffering of various kinds are part of our life. And he uses the word toil and trouble to explain that. No matter how much we try, there is always some kind of frustration follows. You know, when I was growing up, I was thinking, oh, as soon as I'm going to get this this particular job, you know, the salary which I have, maybe about a 20% extra, my life will be settled, you know, and I'll be very happy. And I'm still chasing that tail since last maybe 30 years. There is a frustration in no matter what we do. You know, there is a bittersweet quality about our life. There is a sweetness about life as well, but there is bitterness is always there as well. But why is human life tinged with a dark side? You know, that question come to our mind. Why do we have these tragedies? Why do we have these irritations or injustice? And sometimes, you know, the catastrophes uh, strike both innocent and guilty alike. Like corona, what happened? So many good people died as well. Why? Why we die? You know, why our life is so short? Why we return to dust? Why are our life filled with toils and troubles? Verses 7 to 11 tells us that it is all because of God's wrath. You know, it introduces us that, uh, that God is actually angry. God is angry because of sin. And it is because of his wrath All these things happen in our life. It does not mean that as soon as or every time we sin, God is going to afflict us with some kind of suffering. But overall, 
we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. Moses reminds us that Adam, who was our representative, wanted to be his own God, disobeyed God, and because of that, we all are sinners. You know, uh, Paul reminds that in, a, uh, in a Romans chapter 5 very clearly that in the first Adam, we all sin, and he sinned, and, and because of that, the death came and entered into the whole humanity as well. Um, God cursed the earth. You know, when you go out from here, when you are sitting in your, walking in your garden, just look at those thorns and thistles that should remind us the effect of sin. They were not supposed to be there. Um, you know, our work, like Monday, a lot of people will go to work. It is supposed to give us enjoyment, but by Sunday night and with, oh boy, the Monday is about to come. Why? That frustration. By, fr- by Thursday afternoon, we say, oh yes, the Friday is coming. But why that frustration? It was supposed to give us enjoyment. It is because of sin. Uh, after living a life full of toil and trouble, you know what happens? We return to dust. Sin is the cause of death and misery. Verse 8 says that we see uh, God sees nothing but humans, uh, humankind's sin. Look at what verse 8 says. <clears throat> you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You know, sometimes, as foolishly, we try to hide our sins from God as if we can. And we try to hide it from God. Um, because of sins... God's wrath is always there. You know, verse 11 says, nobody knows the God's uh, power of God's anger. What it says is, who knows the power of your anger? It's a rhetorical question. No one knows. Uh, It says that for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. We do not, you know, fear God the way we ought to. We do not know that. And that's why God is angry. God's anger we do not understand. And at this point, Moses prays to God that, Oh Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, wisdom begins with divine revelation. We need God to teach us to use our time wisely in this fallen world. We need God's wisdom. We need God to teach us to recognize that there is a vast difference between God and infinite, uh, infinite man. Uh, the second thing, you know, which, which we really want God to, uh, you know, teach us is the reality of his lordship. You know, the persistent reality of his lordship that God may teach us. Sometimes the word wisdom is well misunderstood. People say that, you know, wisdom means to know how things works or takes place. Um, is that what the biblical wisdom is? Uh, biblical wisdom, if we like to say in a very simple word, we can say that, you know, it's the understanding of applying God's word into our day-to-day life. And that understanding comes only from above. How God teaches, teaches us? Of course, through his word. And that's why, you know, we open, open his word and read them regularly. Actually, you know, when we are talking about the wisdom, let's think of the opposite of that. You know, what is foolishness? It is a wise thing to ask God to teach us. But what is foolishness? Foolishness is actually thinking 
that this life is all there is. Foolishness is that I can figure it out all the things. I can figure it out how to live my life. You know, that is actually foolishness. And that's why Psalm says, foolish says in his heart that there is no God. It is foolishness to rely upon our own strength and think that this life is all there is. To try to find our belonging, our identity, our security in all the things of the world. Imagine Psalm would have ended here. Um, It would have been discouraging, isn't it? We may have gone home discouraged thinking, you know what? Life sucks and then we die. But there is a good news for all of us here. It talks about God's mercy towards those who were under the sentence of death. There is a a good news for all of us here. You know, verses 13 to 16, Moses prays for God's mercy. He asked God to show his favor towards his people, to restore the joy of his salvation. You know, look at verses 13 and 14. What What he writes is this, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Moses is actually seeking God's favor on the basis of his mercy. Or the other word we can use it is God's pity, uh, which is a you know, nicer word, God's pity. There are these two verses, they presupposes God's relationship with his people on the basis of God's covenant with his people. Why do I say that? Because specifically there are two words which Moses used. They are the covenantal words. The name of Yahweh. It's capital L-O-R-D. That reminds that he is a covenantal Lord. And there is another term, unfailing love or your steadfast love. That, you know, which God sows to his people on the basis of his, you know, covenant uh, with his people. And these two verses, you know, tells us that Moses knows that the effect of sin is going to end one day because of God's mercy. Look what he says. How long will it be? Like there is an, there is an assumption that this all things is going to, be, to come to an end one day. And God is not going to judge according to our sins. But according to his unfailing love, his steadfast love. It is striking that those who were described in, you know, verses 3 to 12 uh, as weak, feeble, you know, uh, frail, uh, are now anticipating God's favor. Isn't it amazing that they are anticipating or expecting God's favor and blessing to live a joyful and productive life? You know, here is a dramatical reversal. For to live in the pleasure of God means that the labor is not in vain. Uh, But how can a sinner who are under God's wrath uh, can expect the bright future? How how can that be? Look at verse 16. What what Moses is praying for his people. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Now understand this. Let me take you a few thousand years ago. When Moses is leading his people in a prayer. They must be in a wilderness somewhere. And Moses is leading his people in a prayer. Now, when Moses is praying this prayer, that, O Lord, may your deeds be shown to your servants, everyone who was standing there or sitting there, their mind must have gone back to the Exodus, you know, where God shown his power 
when he took them out of the land of slavery, death, and misery, and brought them out from that land. But Moses is actually not looking backward. He's looking forward, and he's praying to God to sow his work of salvation to his servant in a new and more powerful way. That's what he's praying. He's praying for his people. He's leading his people in this prayer. But a question comes, is, did Moses' prayer, did God answer his prayer? Yes. Moses' prayer was answered in the coming of Jesus. He might not have understood what he was praying then, but his prayer was answered at the right time when Christ came into this world. In the coming of Jesus, God has satisfied his people with his unfailing love, with his steadfast love, or in Hebrew it's a kesed. You know, his unfailing, that loyal love which only God can bestow upon his people. In the person of Jesus, God came down and made his dwelling place among his people. So that we, as people of God, can say, Oh Lord, you are our dwelling place from generation to generation. This is, this is where, you know, we can see that how God answered Moses' prayer. In the person of Jesus... Not only that God came down and made his dwelling place among us, but you know, God, who is outside the time, entered into the time, took on flesh. He came and dwelt in the cursed world that we may have life. He lived the life which you and I were supposed to live, and he satisfied the God's anger, God's wrath, which was against you and I, so that we can say that we can sit in God's dwelling place. You know, the wrath which was reserved for us sinners, he faced the wrath on our behalf, that we may not be swept away. We may not be forgotten like a dream. Uh, and now those who put their trust in Jesus can pray this prayer as God's people, that God, you are our dwelling place. And in Jesus, God has sowed, you know, his favor. He, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, which was against us. Um, God has sown, sowed his favor to his people in Jesus Christ. You know, but Jesus did not remain dead. Um, as we know, he rose again. In his resurrection, God displayed the glorious work of salvation. Now we can be sure because Jesus rose again, we can be sure that we will be risen again. We will rise and our glorious future is waiting for us. So now whoever put their trust in him are not under curse anymore, but under God's steadfast love. But a question comes to mind is this, then why still we still die? Um, it doesn't mean that as soon as we're going to put our trust in Jesus, our life will be red carpet true. It doesn't mean that all sickness or all sufferings of the life or death will go away. It doesn't mean that we are still subject to sin. We are still subject to death. But because of Jesus, death has no power over us anymore. You know, Jesus said one verse which will summarize all this theology. And it's this. Jesus said, if you believe in me, Though you die, you will live. Though you die, you will live. And until he comes, what we do? We go and live out gospel. Isn't it? We go and proclaim the gospel. 
we go and preach the resurrected Christ. The, uh, you know, Christ who was hang on the tree and who was resurrected. You know, we, that's the message we go and uh, preach everywhere. And what Lord does, Lord establishes the work of our hands as Moses prayed for his people. Look at verse 70. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And this in Jesus, God establishes our work. So a question comes is this. How should we respond? How should we respond to this psalm? You know, what are the things we should be thinking of? The first one, don't think that this life is all there is. If you are going to try to find your identity, your protection, your dwelling place, your refuge, in anything other than uh, God himself, you are going to fail. You are going to fall over. You know, the second thing is, stop wasting your time. God is teaching us through this psalm that we are to pray to Lord that may God give us a heart of wisdom that we may be able to count our days, that we may use our time wisely for his glory. And you know the another thing which we all should be doing? Stop worrying about anything. Stop worrying about things because there is a day coming when Christ will return and he will take us home. And his steadfast love, you know, he has promised us this, that in Jesus he has shown us his favor. You know, Druthi and I have a desire that, you know, one day if God enables us, we like to go and see world, especially Europe. You know, we like to go and drive around and, you know, have a look. But let's say if you can't do it, what does it matter? will have the whole eternity, not only to look more beautiful things than Europe, but to be with the Lord. You know, what does it matter? Well, there is a frustration comes that only this much if I do, you know, my life will be rosy. Stop worrying about those things. It's not for you, the people of God, but God is teaching us that we should go and pray to the Lord that have mercy upon me, a sinner, O Lord. Give me a heart of wisdom that I may be able to count my days and how I live in this world which is a fallen world. Let's pray.